You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Ty Roxon, and it's another day to change the world. I'm pretty excited about today's episode, as I always am with other episodes, but today's episode is about impact investing. I guarantee you, you've never thought about impact investing this way. Did you know that through impact investing, you could actually be contributing to changing the world in multiple ways? And that's exactly what Morgan and I get into. She talks about her career and what exactly those pesky myths are about impact investing. We talk about different ways to be a global citizen through that, and I really hope that you all are able to apply that to your daily lives. Can't wait to hear your thoughts as always. Enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready. Take some notes and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's guest is Morgan Simon. She's a widely recognized leader in impact investment who builds bridges between finance and social justice. Over the past 17 years, she has influenced over 150 billion dollars from high net worth individuals, foundations, and endowments. She supports Pi Investments as, as well as the Libra Foundation and also is the co-founder and chair of the nonprofit Transform Finance. Previously, she served as the founding CEO of Tonic, a global network of impact investment investors, as the founding executive director and responsible and she was responsible for endowments and several types of coalitions where she basically worked with the United Nations in Honduras and corporations like Forest Ethics. So she's definitely well well versed in these type of things. She's also a graduate of the Swarthmore College and she serves as a professor of Middlebury College graduate schools programs. She currently lives in the Bay Area, but today she's calling me from Rio. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is mine. And so as I was trying to read, I was trying to read your bio there, I was like, man, there's a lot of things here. So I'm very curious, how did you get started? Because you've got, you know, you're obviously a thought leader in the space of impact investment. But even before that, the stuff that you did, the network you built, the being found in executive directors of several organizations, it seems like you almost had uh, an idea of who you want to be from an early age. But I'm curious to know if that's the case. 
That that is correct, and and I should know. You know, I'm I'm 35. Um, I've been doing social investing, something related to it, for about 17 years now. So part of it is is kind of building up expertise early, um, and then the other piece is is some career advice that I got early on that anything worth doing, it takes a year to get into it, a year to do it, and a year to get out of it. Um, so I've started four different organizations at this point. And part of it was really always starting things with an eye on um, being prepared to move it to the next person, right? So always building things as a community um, that then we're able to stand the tests of time. So that's part of kind of being relatively young, but having a long track record within that. Um, so I, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and I think one of the things of, of growing up in, in pretty much any city in the world or in certainly American cities um, is that disparities in income and access are just so immediate and clear. Um, and I did a lot of work in East Los Angeles and downtown L.A., mostly with Latino immigrant communities. Um, and I, I started to uh, really deepen my commitment to fairness. Right. And when I think about social justice and having a commitment to social justice, to me, that means feeling that the, the same type of passion and care that you have for your family members, right, of how you would make sure that your sister, your mother, you know, is going to have housing, food, education, right, that you would want that for everybody and that you're willing to fight just as hard as that for everybody. And as I became close to a number of these immigrant families and seeing what they had to put up to compared to my white middle class family um, just really strengthened my resolve to want to be part of shifting that dynamic in the U.S. And then um, along the way, kind of really learning about the global connections to that, right, of, of the way that so many economies are linked and that outcomes elsewhere um, are a big part of what leads to global poverty and, and, and inequality. Um, and when I started to look at then as, as someone who wasn't committed to any particular sector, right, um, but just cared about social inequality generally, how do you work on that, right? Like, where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about charity, and charity's great, it's always going to be this tiny, tiny sector of the economy, right? So rather than, you know, having people work really shitty jobs where then you need charity to kind of fill in the gaps, um, what if you just made the economy fair in the first place, right, so that it served people? And that would mean through businesses that are really thoughtful about their social and environmental impacts. And I think we're increasingly seeing that those are the businesses that do really well in the market. So I started to get engaged in impact investment um, and seeing that as an activist, right, as, as the way to really be most engaged. So that was really my, my pathway into the industry. That is, that is so fascinating. And it's, um, I love the fact that, you know, you, you said you sort of figured this out. And before we get, get into this, um, I, know, I know the problem you're solving. Can you talk about the process of discovering your passion early on? Now, this is a little bit of a curveball, but the reason I'm asking you this is because a lot of the people that listen to the show, they are aspiring change makers or change makers. And a lot of times they know that they, they have a gift or they want to do something of impact, but sometimes they haven't been able to ask themselves those introspective questions uh, to really figure out what it is that they're meant to do. So you as someone who sort of had the foresight and just went after it, what did you do early on to really, one, discover your passion and then develop it into such an expertise that you now have a book that's receiving praise from people like Van Jones, Booklist, Kirkus Reviews, Harvard, you know, many of all, all these places? Sure. So, you know, Van has been a mentor to me for over a decade now and, and so much of his message, right, and, and even his latest 
initiative, the Love Army, right, is this idea from moving from a place of love. And I think that connecting deeply to your love of whatever, right, love of people, love of the environment, love of the arts, love of business, like whatever it is that really inspires that passion, like people talk a lot about entrepreneurship and, and the hustle of it. And a lot of that is the, what is the thing that you're willing to stay up till three in the morning for Right. And for me, that was always about people. And, and I think part of being connected with communities is that for a lot of us, it's about very specific people, right. Um, of what we've seen within our communities, with our friends um, and the struggles that so many people are going through um, and just having a burning desire to shift that. So I, I think a lot of, us have that instinct, right? And then the next piece is, well, how do I do that, right, in a way that's still going to support my goals, right, for my family, um, for my own wealth building, right? But that's certainly a, a legitimate goal that people have. And that means that that may work for them within the nonprofit context. It may not. Um, and I think part of why a lot of people wind up turning to social business is this opportunity to say, I want to create wealth with my community. I want it to be distributed, right? I don't want it to all be concentrated. Yeah. Um, and I want to do it differently um, in a way that's really serving people on the planet in the process. Oh, I love that. I love that. So what is impact investment for those that are listening and might be hearing the word for the first time? Sure. So it's the idea of investing um, in a way that respects the social and environmental impacts of how those dollars are working in the world. So a really simple example, right? It, it, I think we, we tend to think of investors as the really wealthy people or institutions, right? And certainly a lot of them are doing social investing. But investor can also mean, you know, you putting your money in the bank, right? And one of the things that's interesting, so I, I did a lot of work um on private prisons back in the day, and some of that was looking at the fact that you had college and university endowments um, invested in private prisons, right, at the same time that you had more black men in the U.S. in prison than in college, right? And um, the idea that you would even have HBCUs invested in private prisons, right, seems a little crazy, seems right. a little counter to their mission. And in that same way, if I care about social justice, but I put my money at Wells Fargo or Bank of America, right, at banks that are often working really counter to our desires for communities, I'm contributing to the problem. Um, so impact investing is the opportunity to say, I want my money to speak for my values, the same way that you might buy cage-free eggs, right, because you're thinking about those poor chickens that are like a 100 of them in a little cage, right, that it's the same way of how do I make sure that my money is really representing what I care for in the world? And that might mean that I'm looking at something like amalgamated bank that's union owned and, and really advocates for labor or a new resource bank, right, that is looking at environmental progress. Um, so these are, you know, just a couple of the examples of, of how people start thinking about how their money can can go into vehicles that uh, support their values. Wow. Yeah. And that's good. So what are the like the, the big funds right now that, that actually focus on this? Sure. So there's so many. I mean, I think that's what's really exciting um, is that you're seeing impact investment really kind of taking over at a national level. Already one in every eight dollars in the U.S. has some type of screen on it, meaning that funds that say, you know, we're not going to invest in some of the worst of the worst um, things and, and then kind of historic sin stocks. Right. So things like firearm, pornography, um, uh, alcohol, cigarettes. Um, but then even large institutions like actually uh, New York City just yesterday announced that they're divesting from fossil fuels. Um, so there's some work that's about 
avoiding the bad stuff. And then there's other groups that are about doing the good stuff, right? So Al Gore, for instance, right, he took his climate activism uh, to start a fund called Generations, um, which has been working on making very climate change positive investments, right, to change that future. Um, and then you have, uh, so you're in New York, so funds like Collaborative Fund um, that are really looking at positive solutions for the world um, yeah. from a kind of venture capital lens, um, bridges management. There's just a massive number of, of funds and companies that are really focused on this space. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I love this. I, I like to nerd out about these things. Um, so there's something that you say. You say impact investment will do a lot of good, but only if we get it right. What do you mean by that? Sure. So one of the challenges, you know, I'm going to go back to my egg example. When you go to the grocery store, I don't know about you, but I often have this moment where I'm like, have an agony in the egg aisle of trying to remember what's the difference between the cage-free and the pasture-raised and the organic and the, but this one's 10 cents more and that one's 20 cents more, right? And like, what am I actually supposed to do, right? Yeah. And I think similarly, when we get told, oh, here's the social option, right? Check the box on your retirement fund or whatnot, you can get the social option. Well, how do you know that the social change is actually good, right? Like, how do you actually have some type of objective standard um, for what social change should mean? And my fear is that if we just let the same financial institutions that have been engineering the problems um, kind of use social environmental as a marketing campaign without having real deep commitment to accountability to the communities they're supposed to be serving, um, then we really wind up with this risk of, of what people sometimes call greenwashing, um, right, that you you have something that claims to be social but really isn't. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where you know impact investment could do a lot of good if we make sure that it's really accountable to the communities it's meant to serve. No, absolutely. And um, in the, the fact is, you're saying even if, if you read the book, you're talking about the fact that you actually say that the the largest wealth holders in the world are increasingly moving towards impact investment. So someone like me that consumes the news a lot, we don't hear that a lot. You know, we. Um, we, we sort of get the idea that impact investment is, is, um, basically for just the wealthy. And, and if, even if it's for the wealthy, not enough of those wealthy people are actually doing anything about it. So we just leave that alone and try to figure out different ways to change the world. Can you help dispel those, those two myths that the largest wealth and uh, wealth holders are actually doing a lot to, um, actually move towards impact investment and also how impact investment isn't for, um, just the wealthy? Sure. So um, for in the case of the wealthy, I think you see that the majority of the top 10 wealthiest families in America um, have really adopted impact investment wholeheartedly, right? So the Gates Foundation has a very large initiative, numerous members of the Pritzker family. Um, there's just a really large emphasis within that community of saying, you know, not only do we want to be philanthropists, but we want to make sure that we're aligning our dollars. And some of what I outline in the book, in the work that I've done, right, of, of taking portfolios and being able to move them from no impact at all to complete impact across all asset classes. And I think are really excited to show for people who, who have wealth and, and often in instances of inherited wealth, right, of people saying, here by the grace of God go I, right, I have these resources, how do I make sure that I'm supporting a brighter future for people um, as I steward them, right, that that's something that a lot of millennials have really been taking the lead on um, with an impact investment. And then for everyday people, I also have a chapter um, that is four steps 
to remove the ick from your life, right? The icky feeling that your money is supporting things that are counter to your values. Um, and that's things like, how do you break up with your bank, right? And, and find an institution that supports you better. Um, how to look at uh, retirement funds if you have one. Learning about some of the private debt categories that can, you know, give you much better interest rates at the bank. So it's it's all educational information, right? I can't provide financial advice that right. you have to, you know, get from your individual advisor. Um, but you know, hopefully, it provides people with a good start to to get to feel empowered. Because I, I think the the one thing for you know everyday people, we tend to kind of treat our money like it's not ours, right? You hand it over to the bank, and then it's like it's their money. Right. Yeah. And I think we sometimes have to remember that it's still your money. Right. And that those institutions need to be accountable to you to make sure that your values are represented. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, lo- I love that you said that, by the way. Uh, another thing you said in your book, you cautioned that impact investing is at a turning point. What makes you believe that? So I think we have seen these amazing projections um, from institutions like JP Morgan, you know, very mainstream institutions that you're going to have 10x growth within this industry, right, over the next decade, that you're getting to trillions of dollars of assets that are um, moving into much more proactive methods of impact. Um, and when you start to scale something rapidly, right, how do you make sure that the social impact gets scaled at the same pace and that there's not just, as I was saying before, kind of trying to call something social without really developing the systems that you need to get that right. But what I feel really excited about is that there is such an opportunity, right, to kind of insert a voice at this moment to say, let's make sure that investing is really accountable and thoughtful in terms of solving the big problems, right? So not just kind of making uh, people a little bit better off, but really addressing uh, inequality in a much more substantive way. Yeah. Wow. So this is so eye opening. It's it's interesting um, that uh, <laughs> that you know that I didn't actually know anything about this world. I just sort of knew it in the periphery. You know, I'm in New York. You hear a lot about these things, but I didn't know about the intricacies of that. And um, another thing you point out in the book is that not all impact investment projects are inherently good. So, can you talk about the project that went you know went awry? It went a bad way because I hear I mean Crocs and all these. People to have maybe great intentions, uh, but it ends up actually doing more damage. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on examples you have on those. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one example that's that's very stark for me um, is about a community in the south of Mexico that has some of the best wind energy reserves in the world. And you had the Mexican government, International Development Bank, some private investors, impact investors, um, who put together over uh, 550 million, right, big project. Um, to say we could have this great win for everybody, right? We're going to have a massive wind farm. We're going to help lessen dependency on fossil fuels. And it's a largely indigenous region. We can create jobs for people and, and economic opportunity through the process. Um, so this seemed great for everyone, right? And if you're sitting at your desk on the 44th floor of, you know, some sky rides on 6th Avenue, right? It sounds like a great idea. Um, and it turned out to be great for everyone except for the people who lived there, right? Who um, were getting asked to sign contracts in Spanish instead of their indigenous language, right? Often didn't know really what was going on and were getting their land taken for under $50 a hectare. Um, and once they sort of uh, got into um, the dynamics here, started to put up roadblocks um, to stop the project um, to the point where 12 uh, people were shot 
in the community, including women and children, oh um, by a com yeah. Um, and they started putting out statements, stop the intimidation, hostility, and violence, you know, not caused by oil, not by mining, right? Which I think we're, we're used to hearing a lot of those stories, but Definitely. by wind energy. Um, and if I'm an impact investor, right, intimidation, hostility, and violence, those are the last three words that I ever want to fix to my name, right? And it goes back to if we don't have feet on the ground, if we're not making sure that communities are benefiting just as much as investors, we're going to go wrong, right? And that's where making sure to be a conscious consumer of impact investing, the same way you're a conscious consumer of anything, is really critical. And then the other for people who are coming from affected communities that may not have that much experience with finance, knowing that there are investors who really do want to support community-based work um, that are excited about people jumping in and, and want to provide financing. Um, so one resource for that you mentioned earlier I'm a co-founder of a New York-based organization called Transform Finance, yes. um, which does a number of trainings for community leaders who may have heard about impact investment, don't really know much about it, but are interested in how it could be a tool uh, for justice for them. Um, so we really try to create those opportunities for people to get much more engaged and to learn about how they can get access to the type of finance that's going to be really excited about people who have community roots. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And, and speaking of community roots, you're someone that lives out what you're saying, right? You're calling me from Rio right now. And this is different from other impact investors I know. Uh, they don't actually go down to the areas that they're serving. I'm curious, though, why that's part of your philosophy, that you go to the countries or the communities that you actually are serving so that you're actually aware of what's going on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sure. So I think... Um What's really critical, right, one of the uh, social justice values that I think people tend to learn early on in their activist careers is kind of taking your lead um, from affected communities. And, and that's, you know, I'll, I'll note that in, that's in a context where I am not from that community, right? For, for some people, it's about working in solidarity with your own people. Um, but I think it's a recognition that communities are complex, um, and that if you want to work in service to community, it's not about just dropping in. Um, so, you know, that's part of, as impact investors, uh, we have our office in downtown Oakland, right? And we all live in Oakland. And that's a very different experience than colleagues that live in Palo Alto. Um, but I'll note that in the context of a majority-minority future, 
I think it means that we get access to some of the most innovative, exciting deal flow from entrepreneurs of color who are doing really fantastic things because they know most intimately the problems of their community. So I think often when people talk about entrepreneurship, right, they say entrepreneurs scratch their own itch, right? They solve the things that they think are the biggest problems. And there's a very different level of commitment when you're thinking about how do I share the next photo, right, versus the I want to make sure that my peers are able to get access to education. Right? So I think that's the type of conviction that we get most excited about mm. um, and that we have to be actually within communities right, to make sure that we really have a finger on the pulse of what some of those community needs might be. That's, that's no, that's, uh, that's really interesting. And, and um, I commend you for doing that. I think that's, that's a great way to not only engage um, communities, but also I think it probably does a lot for your uh, for your exposure to different worldviews and different ideas. You, you might get an idea of how to potentially go about a problem when you're actually on, on the ground as opposed to being away from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite impact investment story? You know, something that fulfilled the potential and made the type of positive impact that investors hope for. Oh, there's so many. I think that's the that's the really good news. Um, you know, one that I'm really excited about right now um, is a, a couple year old company called Macro um, that is um, producing media content, predominantly TV and um, and film, um, but also working in the digital realm. That is focused on telling positive stories about communities of color um, and really shifting the way. You know, particularly for young people, but for all people, um, of how representation happens within Hollywood and the critical uh, nature of how that informs people's opinions um, within American society and, and globally. Um, and then there's also a number of investments that we've done internationally. So uh, another um, uncommon cacao, um, which is working with farmers um, who grow cacao, right, the primary ingredient in chocolate. Um, we're typically in fair trade. You might only get two cents more a kilo, whereas this company makes sure that the majority of the economic benefit goes back to the farmers. So that's a significant, significant increase in their incomes. Yeah. So in general, the focus that we have is Candide Group, which is the um, investment advisory that I founded, um, co-founded with Anair Benami. Um, that basically we look within any sector or geography um, at how do you really think about systemic change, right? It's one thing to make things a little bit better off. It's another to say we want to change the rules of the game so that they're fair for the long term for everyone. Um, so that's why you're going to see us in sectors as diverse as cacao and media, um, wherever we can get to that systems change. See, you, you took the next question out of my mind because that was, that was where I was going with how do we make sure it's systemic? Because a lot of times, my personal frustration, and obviously, listen to you talk, I, you know, I probably had the wrong idea about impact investment initially, but as I always thought, man, this, these are just band-aids, right? You know, I, I need something to actually fix the system. You know, I, I shared with you earlier before we got on, I, I lived through two military dictatorships. I've seen systemic corruption at its finest, very close, and know what that looks like. Still know what that looks like, even to this day, with, with my several interactions. And I'm always frustrated with band-aids and not um, understanding the root of issues. Because um, I just think that that actually does more damage than good in the long run. So I'm always curious about that. So I, could you even dive, in, dive into that deeper about how 
do you feel like impact investment could actually do something to disrupt systems um, that have been there sure. for centuries? So two things that I'll say. One is that when we think about um, charity, right, the historic role of charity, which is this idea of society is going to do what it's going to do and with whatever leftovers we have, right, so in the case of foundations, right, they um, have to give away 5% a year of their money, Um that's what we're going to use to clean up all the problems of society. And that means in the context of something like a foundation or, or even how we as individuals who don't donate, you know, maybe we donate 5% of our income, right? Um, 95% of the work of a foundation is completely counter to the mission, right? It's invested in the broader economy, which is constantly exploiting people and exploiting the environment. And then you have this 5% that's supposed to solve all the problems, right? And that's such a David and Goliath fight that we are never going to win, right? And that's why I feel like social business is so critical um, because it's saying, let's just change how the economy works in the first place so then you don't have to try and fix it later, right? It just seems like a much easier way to work, right? Um, and it also means that you're able to work with a much larger pool of money um, in thinking about the amount of capital that's invested in the world, right, being so much more than the capital that's donated. So I want to be clear, I think philanthropy is still really critical for things like organizing and advocacy and politics, um, but that in terms of shifting nature of income inequality and thinking about environment, um, that shifting business practices is where you're really going to get those systems changed because that's where the systems live, right? Um, And then the second piece of that is then thinking about, well, what what does it actually mean to change an economic system? Um, And at Transform Finance, there's three marine principles that we tend to think about within that. And I would just highlight, you know, one of them, the idea of adding more value than you extract, right? That um, rather than just making, you know, things a little bit better off for people, but then still fundamentally taking value out of their communities, how do we make sure that we invest in a way that leaves more value for the next generation? So I think that's part of, you know, really thinking about how do we replace the assets within communities that have been historically robbed over centuries and centuries. Wow. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and I, you know, this is, once again, we're all in this together. I think everybody has different roles. And I particularly love your path because a lot of times when we talk about changing the world for the better, many people have become too in love with singular narratives, right? People think it's only, you have to only be in politics. You have to only be in NGOs. You have to only be here. And you, what you're showing is that you can do it from finance. You know, so, uh, you know, someone here listening as an everyday investor could think, my goodness, I could actually participate in this. I didn't think that I could do anything until I saved enough money to actually run my own, uh, my own thing here. So I don't want that to be lost in people. That the, the idea of making an impact, a positive impact, is something everyone can do daily. So um, thank you for that. I, I want to go into your personal journey. I, I love my favorite type of people to hang around are people that are change makers. You're one of them, you know, uh, and we're, I guess we're in the same generation, millennials. Uh, and you, 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 you strike me as someone, you see how you spent over 10 years doing this, as someone who really was driven by, by act. What are injustice and, and, and any and the lack of diversity that you saw around you and you've started this at such a young age and you've stayed consistent. What has pushed you through the hard times? Because in, in recent years we've seen some potential setbacks. But how do you find the drive to just continue? 
I think if anything, it's fuel for the fire, right? I, I imagine you and I and so so many other people listening, right, uh, are, are still reeling from um, the recent comments of our dear president, um, you know, in, in referring um, to certain nations um, like Haiti, where I've spent time and met so many wonderful people and enjoyed such a beautiful environment, um, to to uh, hear <laughs> such terrible things said all the time is fuel for the fire, right? I think it's um, it's about recognizing that this is a life journey that we're all on, um, and that getting discouraged to, is a waste of time is what it comes down to. That there's just too much work to do um, to get bogged down uh, too much by that. So I think I try to just really stay aligned to the true north um, and do the work that I need to do to protect the people that I love, right? I think that's that's the driving force. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I was listening to Chris Cuomo yesterday, and he, he just highlighted the fact that it, this isn't a time. Anger begets anger. You can't. It's not about using reacting in anger. It's more about basically mobilizing, strategizing, and thinking about what we can do. I think a lot of times we can get bogged down on the energy of being reactive, and we might lose sight of, of, of what actually we need to do. So I love how you're saying you strike that balance. It's definitely, I'm indignant, right? It's definitely good to be indignant, but make sure it's directed towards a purpose. Make sure that that drives you to actually serve the people that you intend to serve more. I think more, more than any time in the last few years, it's more important to make sure that the, the voiceless is, is heard and, then, and the people that are, haven't been seen are being seen. I mean, perseverance is what's going to get people through that. And I think that's the other piece around, you know, the the path of of social entrepreneurship, right, is the idea of saying we want to build a future that looks different, right? And I think that that's part of what keeps me from getting bogged down um, is knowing that I get to be part of building something um, that's going to look completely different and that's going to uh, hopefully leave some of that hatred in the past. So I think that's that's the opportunity that this next generation um, has right because if we focus on the complaining element, right, which can can certainly happen, um, yeah. it's not doing a lot to drive us forward. So I really love to start every conversation with, "Yes, this is fucked up," and I hope I can say that on your podcast. Yes, you can. <laughs> um, and, and therefore, right, what are we going to do about it? Right? right, that's the opportunity that we have. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, this is good. I mean, we're getting. I mean, I feel like this conversation is flown by, and we're getting ready to wrap up, but. Um, just can you tell us a little bit more about the things you've learned from all the countries you've traveled to? A lot of people come from different backgrounds. You're in Rio right now. Maybe um, talk to us about some of your favorite countries that you've been to and what has surprised you that you learned from them. Sure. So I've I've spent time in 47 countries um, over the course of my career. Yeah, and it, it, that list would be a lot longer, except I keep going back to uh, Brazil and Cuba are countries I've been to over 10 times um, in the last decade and, and kind of this consistent um, love affair. And, and part of that is that I'm very active in music and dance. Um, and when we talk about community connection, right, that um, a big part of that for me has been the way that dance um, is such a uniting force and a way to interact with people, right, to, to have a common language um, wherever you are. And I think for some people that's sports, right, it, it's any number of things. Um, but I really do encourage people, you know, in the context of traveling, right, of, of using whatever your skills are to, to then connect with communities. So some of the experiences that stand out for me, I was um, 
going to uh, Kigali, Rwanda, and I just looked up on YouTube who were the street dancers in Kigali and wrote them and said, hey, I'm a dancer from California. I'm about to be coming out. Um, can I come hang with you? <laughs> right? And wound up having this amazing week um, of getting to see all the great community work that these dancers were doing um, and teaching young people in the community and then getting to spend time at their homes and you know getting a really different perspective than the average investor on a diligence trip would get. Um, so a lot of my fond memories in different countries um, are connected to to some of that cultural connections and, and the bridges that that created. Love that. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been saying this, you know, whenever you travel, find your connectors. You just, she just validated that your connectors are things that you, you already love and you enjoy doing. And, you know, um, you know chances are if, if you love sports, you can look up the sports that they're being played there. And, and since it's something you love, it actually creates this bond um, that you can have across several cultures if it's music if it's if it's art just food these are all that you know in many cases universal connectors but don't lose sight of what you already know and what you already do uh, and don't lose sight of how powerful that can be used to connect with people that are very different from you so um love that you just said that because I, I i harp on that so much um okay so what's yours taya Oh, for me. If I get to ask a question. Oh, please, you can. This is this is conversational. So it's it's sports, pop culture, and geography. So I have inane, insane knowledge about useless. Not I won't say useless information, but I just know a lot about a lot. And it's like a movie that came out, and the actor that came out, where the person's from, and sports. I my first love of sports. So, and uh, you know, soccer, tennis, basketball, whatever it is, I've always been able to connect on, on several fields. And I remember vividly. You know, when I was that 10-year-old kid with, with the, you know, skinny kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty, I remember at the time... I oh, only, Lord. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I only knew how to play soccer at the time, but I looked around me and I saw people were playing basketball, and I went to the library and I started studying. I know, of all places, <laughs> of all places, I went to the library to study all the rules of basketball and then I picked up the current magazines and I, I figured out what the current plays were. And then I went to the best basketball player and I was like, hey, Michael, could you teach me how to play? And so we took theory to practice. And, you know, my teammates were from Taiwan, from, um, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, America. And, you know, all of a sudden it didn't matter where we came from. We were all work, working towards a common goal. But I learned that lesson at 10, 11. And I've always used that to, to connect them out of connectors. You know, geography, if I meet someone from Latvia, I'd be like, hey, you from Riga? Riga is the capital, but even though they're not from Riga, they, that's a point. I'm like, hey, I'm actually three miles from there or three kilometers, depending on if it's a European, uh, from there. And um, right. yeah, so I've, I've always just figured out different ways to, to know that. And, and just me knowing about Bollywood, Hollywood, Nolly, any random actor music, you know, <laughs> it just always seems to be a connecting point. So yeah, those are my three. Nice. Yeah, as long as you know which countries to say football and which to say soccer, then oh, you'll, you'll be good I've, to go. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've gotten used to saying soccer now, but yes, there's always, always football for me. I still don't. And I love the American football as well. I mean, my number one football sport is football, but I don't know. I don't understand. I still don't understand why it's called football, but I call it here because it's what people call it. But I don't understand. Because you're using your hand most of the time. But that's another rant, but not a day. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> um, Keeping I, up with the time. Yes. That's, that's what it's all about. Things are changing, right? <laughs> find your place within that. Uh, no, no, I, exactly. Um, so where can people find you? 
Um, they can find me at numerous incarnations of Morgan Simon, right? So morgansimon.com, at morgansimon1, Morgan Simon on Facebook. Um, but yeah, happy, happy to connect with people who, one, entrepreneurs who might be looking for investors who are interested in a social environmental story, you know, happy to suggest resources there, um, or people who are looking for different ways to, to think about putting their assets where their values are. Wow. Love it. Love it so much. Can't let, uh, let you go without asking the mission statement of this podcast. It is use your difference to make a difference. That's what the foundation is. And everybody here has, is, is an aspiring world changer or change maker. So how do you, Morgan, use your difference to make a difference? So, you know, I'm going to go back to using cultural connections um, means that I'm able to better connect with community and then use that to inform my work as an investor, right? So it goes back to... Um, What's a little different about me, right? Which which be how I spend my extracurricular time, um, but the way that that really winds up informing my work um, at the end of the day um, really does make me a bit different um, as an investor in terms of the communities that I'm able to touch. Wow, well, that's that's well said. That's beautiful, and we'll definitely make sure we put this in the show notes. So, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for educating us on on the importance of of impact investment. And thank you for showing us that it's something we all can do. I'm really excited to, to see what people say uh, as, as, as they listen to the episode. So um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to uh, help promote the book. Thank you so much. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make it. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.